it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer, or in this case, almost 50 years of it, as we catch up with Bintani's Peter Meddings. I was a little surprised last week to learn that Peter was stepping back from his job at Bintani, a company that he founded 25 years ago to supply brewing ingredients to the nascent craft brewing industry. I've long wanted to have a chat with Pete, on the record, as opposed to the many I've had with him over a beer, about his career, which stretches to the early days of modern craft brewing. And this was a great opportunity. I didn't know, for example, that when home brewing was legalised in the early 70s, that homebrewers sourced their malt extract from chemists. Or even that the first homebrew suppliers used the same base extract as was used in Horlicks. We learn this as well as trace the evolution of craft beer, the challenges and learnings that came with founding a business in the early days of the craft beer movement. I always love these conversations and this was one that I conducted with a huge smile on my face and I hope you listen to it with the same. Enjoy my chat with Peter Meddings. Peter Meddings, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having us along, mate. Oh, mate, it's an absolute pleasure, and it's been something I've long wanted to do. And last week, you uh, dropped an announcement on us that meant that I had to, that, that, that now is a good time to do it. You uh, announced that you're stepping back from Bintani. Yeah, well, stepping back is the word. And and look, you know, we've given this a lot of thought over the probably the last getting on to two years now. We've been thinking about how do we actually uh, transition the business from. Uh, from myself and and to the boys, and uh, so we've we've come up with with this plan over the last couple of years, and I think I think it's it's for the benefit of it all all of us. I'm I'm, I'm more than happy with what we've got uh, planned, and uh, and the boys are happy to look after the future. So I think I think it's all uh, all a good thing, mate. I, I think. The, um, and the brewers will be happy with us, I hope. So, uh, oh, there, there's been does. some very nice comments uh, since, since we uh, sort of put out the announcement that you were were, were retiring. But the the, the thing that uh, in, interests me is, so Bintani, you founded in 1995. You're at yeah. a, a, an age where you're going to partially retire now. So you obviously had a whole career um, in something else before you got involved in uh, starting the, the Bintani business. So what, what what did you do before you got involved in beer ingredients? Well, look, it, it, it's a strange one because I had several jobs prior to starting uh, Peter Meddings or Bintani Australia. The first of it was really in transport. Uh, or I always sort of was all, always self-employed. And so uh, you learn to manage a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> no matter no matter which way you're going, you, you you've got to manage whatever you're doing uh, and make it financially viable. So I did a lot of those things, but I think the whole story really started uh, in in uh, probably in in uh, in the early seventies. Uh, uh, I got into home brewing. Uh, my brother and I we we sort of develop this bit while well, we'll make some beer up and that so we 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 made that but gee looking back 
Matt, I'd have to say, I, I, I reckon the brother and myself, we should be honoured with making the first uh, like sour beers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> because I can tell you, uh, we we really did make sour beers, and um, but that was sort of what was available at the time, and we liked it, but nobody else did, I don't think. Now I do have to ask: Did did you start home brewing before or after it was illegal? Before it was made legal, because I believe it was seventy four that Gough Whitlam changed the yeah. laws. We just got into it just before it was uh, sort of legalised by uh, by uh, Prime Minister Gough Whitlam. I've got a feeling that I've got a feeling Gough Whitlam passed this law in uh, maybe seventy three. I'm not quite sure on that, but around that time, because at that time you could only make it to let, uh, 2.5% was the maximum from memory. And, um, you know, ingredients were difficult to get. Uh, it was really made in the closet. But when he passed that uh, new policy that you could make beer uh, as strong as you wished, as long as you didn't sell it, um, you were out in the open. Now, that to me opened the floodgates to brewers coming out that were home brewing uh, at the time, but but sort of quietly in the background doing it. They came into their own, and these guys uh, were wanting to make beer, and they were able to make beer. But our ingredients at that time were few and far between as far as uh, good ingredients. Uh, equipment wasn't that flash in those days. And so there was this opening for brewers, for equipment and, uh, and, and, and ingredients supplying. But before we move on, where did you get your ingredients from? Because I know that Cooper's, you know, fairly early on after it was illegalised, they started you know, sort of selling extract, which uh, w- w- was an important business add-on, add-on for them. But when you first started, where you, you didn't have homebrew shops to go to, so where did you get your ingredients? Well, a lot of the ingredients were sold through chemist shops uh, with uh, malt extract, and that's that's where a lot of it came from. Um, I don't know what they used for hops, mate. I, I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so... My uh, memory goes back to Cooper's had their uh, wet pack, which was a a container of wort, basically, and uh, a huge, quite a heavy sort of a a cartonised pack of uh, wort. And where I was working at the stage was with a company, Wanda, in Australia here, and we had, at that time we had a malt extract plant down in Tasmania, so we were producing malt extract for Ovaltine, and we also had a seamer where we could put this product in a can. So all these entrepreneurs, when Goff uh, announced this new this new policy on home brewing. All these entrepreneurs come out of the woodwork, mate. And so Wanda was producing liquid malt extract in a, a 1.5 kilo can uh, of, for various uh, 
entrepreneurs, which in the long term, majority of them went broke. And so Wanda ended up with the best of these selling varieties. They all had a lager, they all had a draft, they all had brown ales and so on and so forth. And so Wanda ended up and picked out the 10 biggest selling that they produced for these guys and then uh, made their own product as called Extra Malt. Now, at that particular time, uh, the only yeast or a dried brewing yeast available really locally was a, a baker's yeast. <laughs> so, uh, and that's where uh, I think some of the sour beer comes from. I was going to say, you're not painting a picture here for something that I was going to kickstart a craft brewing industry. Yeah. Well, then with that came... Uh, I did some uh, a little bit of R&D work with Wanda before working for them um, with some yeast. Uh, and uh, we picked a yeast that seemed to make a good beer uh, from a company out there over there in the UK called DCL Yeast, which is now Fermenters. And, uh, and this dried brewing yeast strain uh, today, that yeast is uh, S33. Well, then, in the mid-'80s, I was actually employed then by Wanda, and that's where I really uh, got into this homebrew business. Uh, uh, and that was through industrial uh, malts and, uh, and so forth. And from, from there, uh, I'd have to say, it was one of my happiest times of employment when I was working for an actual boss. It was, it was a brilliant time. Um, and then the other thing was my love for this home brewing, and I had a passion then for sales, which grew out of this home brewing pastime. So I worked for Wanda for quite some years, and then. Uh, so, so what was did Wanda? Wanda was one of the businesses that set up to cater to the home brew. Correct. Uh, right. Correct. So, so, so they created this malt extract. They were one of a number of companies that created the malt extract. Well, they had the malt extract there at the start, right from the word go, uh, the base product for Ovaltine, you see. Yes. So it was only a, um, uh, a means of putting it in a different direction in a can with a homebrew label on it. Of course, they hopped this, um, this can of extract and then they, and they had various flavours that they produced. So they were very, very... They, I got a feeling, uh, you know, and I don't want anybody to sort of <laughs> get wrong with me on this one, but I, they were the first to actually introduce a can of concentrate that you could take home rather than a wort, a liquid wort. So, so yeah, the, the, the pre-fermented wort kits, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, so, so they, were, they were really at the forefront with it. There's no doubt about that. So how long did you stay with Wanda for? All around about ten years, and uh, and then I I, I I left them because uh, there were some changes made, and uh, the they actually went out of the out of the home brewing side and the liquid malt extract. They they shut the plant down in um, in Tasmania, and so at that time I thought a lot of things over, and uh, then I decided that well look I, I still I still really do like this. So it was in 95, uh, June the 5th, 95, I registered our company. 
and we thought, well, we'll we'll try and make a, a go of this new uh, new venture that everybody was like, quite a few people were getting into. Now, at that stage, I think 84, we saw Matilda Bay. Um, yep. So there, there may have been a couple of craft breweries just starting to peek their nose out from under the covers, but were you That's setting correct. Bintani up to, to to deal with them or were you still very much targeting home brewers? No, 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 no. We were really targeting the craft industry at that time. Um, right, from word, right from the word go, but we would supply product to the to the home brew shops that we had because we would have sold anything anywhere, mate. In those days, <laughs> believe you me, <laughs> I wasn't fussy. <laughs> Can you remember who the first uh, commercial uh, microbrewery in Australia you, you oh, supplied? Oh man, I can remember that like yesterday. Uh, the the first one that was a was the Wigan Pen in 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 Canberra at the time. Now that's that's closed now, but the Wigan Pen, the the the, the brewer there at the time was um, Richard Pass. He got in touch with me on yeast. Uh, he was the very first uh, craft brewer that 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 purchased. Then Richard Watkins took over, and uh, Richard was uh, he shortly after that time. We um, well DCL yeast slash fermenters uh, in 1998. They released a range of dried brewing yeast, uh, specifically made for brewing. And um, these dried brewing yeast, we introduced those to Australia. In fact, uh, we were Bintani or Peter Meddings. Uh, was the very, very first export customer that DCL slash Fermentus ever had as an export uh, uh, customer. And it was in 1998, in uh, I think it was around about May 1998, where the IOB uh, or the, what is it, uh, Institute of Brewing and Distilling nowadays, the IOB had a convention and that was in Perth in Western Australia. And we introduced uh seven new types of brewing yeast <laughs> in dried form yeah uh and that was a huge step forward you know like i can remember we got uh, we got the award for the best uh paper over there that was presented it was it was exciting because never before was there this amount of uh, specialized brewing yeast uh, available, so that was a really big time uh, releasing those those uh, yeast, um, and that helped us dramatically. You know, get get the yeast out. At the same time, they introduced them in in the small sachets, eleven point five gram sachets, and um, and then we uh, we got those into uh, just about all the home brew shops. They were very expensive, though, when looking back compared to what else was there, because all the other yeast were uh, were, were uh, very um, uh, quite cheap because they 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 weren't really that special, and uh, they were in three to five gram sachets, where ours was eleven point five grams, and it took a little while to get brewers to actually 
see that more yeast cells in the beer produced better product. So um, it took a little while and a lot of hard work, but we finally got there and, and, and it is what it is today with those, with home brewers, with those sort of yeast anyway. What do you feel, you know, looking back, what was driving the growth of microbreweries back in those days? Because obviously to start a business, you saw that there was potential for it um, to, to, to be starting back in 95. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one, Matt, because in the late 80s or mid 80s, there were craft brewers around then. Mm. And honestly and truly, if you look back, there was home brewers that were making better beer than some of those there was only a few, limited few, believe you me, like craft brewers or whatever. Um, but, boy, some, the home brewers made equally, if not better, beer than some of those 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 very early day, uh, well, what they were called, um, they were called boutique brewers. Boutique brewers, name. yeah. Yeah, what a name, mate, eh? Um, boutique brewers then it became micro brewers and today it's craft brewers and i think that's much better <laughs> i like i like the craft brewers name but but um, what do you what what do you think it was that was driving because uh, there were people that were leaving careers to take up brewing but then there were also people who were shunning the beers that they'd grown up with to look for something else so what yeah. was it back in those days that really uh, motivated people I imagine it was the taste of what we were drinking. And because this home brewing uh, had this new lease of life from Gough Whitlam's days, because it had a new lease of life, and with this new lease of life came a few more uh, new ingredients became available and things like this, I think that the taste, people were slowly... Uh, getting the taste for better beer. Now I don't know whether you call it better beer or not, but it was it was different, and uh, and people liked what it was for whatever reason, and so there there was this development of this new flavour. Now whether um, whether it was it was accepted by all. Well, it was hard work getting it out there. But people did get it out there. And and you, the brewers themselves were, when I started, they were very similar to what I was. We, we, we were all in this together. We all had sort of like limited knowledge. We all had one thing in common, and that was the passion to do it and to do the hard miles. You, you think about developing and changing people's drinking habits, it's got to be hard work and it's got to be passion to do it and drive, drive, drive all the time. So I think that um, they, they, we probably were due for some sort of a change and, 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 and the brewers at the time would just happen to be there with something that was was a change. So... I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was anything special. I think it was just something that there was there was a change in the air, and 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 home brewers were driving it. 
there must have been a, a, a pioneering spirit then because... Oh, man, Because uh, <laughs> as you said, like you're, you're doing it for the first time, but you, you, you look at the mindset now, and back in those days, it, it, it was brewers that had to, you know, there, there weren't equipment manufacturers making small-scale brewing kits. There weren't ingredient suppliers before Bintani and, and, and people like yourself who were supplying them. So the, the, the brewers must have had a really pioneering mindset to, to, to go out and beat a path through you know, virgin territory. They, they certainly did, mate. I can't get over how much pioneering spirit they did really have <laughs> because apart from the passion to do something, whether it's your dream or what, uh, but the, the actual work that you've got to put into it, what you've got to... I know what we all went without uh, because we were all putting everything into trying to make this business work. So it, it wasn't as though it was something that took off today and you could have a holiday in a 12 months' time. It was a really labour of love. There was no doubt about it. Well, I'd imagine so, that you had to source the ingredients... But then there also wasn't an established market for what you were making. No, look, the the the, um, the the brewers themselves they were cobbling together, you know, ex dairy equipment, vats, and so on and so forth. They were reconfiguring uh, some vessels to make a kettle and so on. Uh, they they really uh, were putting together something that was to some degree, probably unknown, and they were reading about it out of books or whatever. Um, ingredients were few and far between uh, in those very early days. Hops were difficult to get, you know, like we we all know, you know, Super Pride and, and Pride of Ringwood and things like that, but there wasn't these other hops available that we've got nowadays. Um, the malt was pretty basic as far as that goes. They they had Australian malt. Now, that's not nothing that there's wrong with any Australian malt for that matter at all. In fact, we've got some of the best malts in the world here now. And uh, But at that particular time, everything was based around commercial brewing. So the craft brewers, they, they did a really good job to actually develop beers that were different and acceptable. Although some of them weren't. Well, we'll put you on the spot here. Have kids today got it too easy? <laughs> when you look at the, the the diversity of suppliers across the, uh, the the industry that anyone starting a brewery now, um, have they got it too easy compared to 25 years ago or do they have their own challenges that they have to deal with? I think they've got their own challenges, mate. I really do. Uh, I think although we had it hard uh, and, and so on and so forth, but... The, the brewers out there today are extremely well-educated brewers. You know, they've all got degrees or, or uh, have got something related to making good beer. So whereas uh, a lot of the early guys, you know, we had to sort of pick things up and just run with it as it was. But today you, you've got to be really, uh, you've got to be really up there with the education on brewing. Secondly, it's it's not something that uh, you could start in the backyard like like some of it did start. Say, for instance, um, 
I don't mean in the backyard precisely, but in, in that sort of uh, environment you were brewing in. I think that um, financially now it's, it's, it's a real expensive thing to get into. Uh, there's some really, really good beers being made. And the biggest, one of the biggest changes from the early days till today is the consistency of beers nowadays. I can remember, you know, we'd talk to people uh, about, oh, taste this beer and taste that beer and so on and so forth. And brewers would say, but, you know, these are all naturally made beers so they change from batch to batch <laughs> well you know the, the, and and they got away with that which well, was fair enough you know but, but, but that's what brewers say when they can't make it the same way every time exactly well today the punter is just as well educated as as the brewer and they know that there are beers that can be made consistently good from one batch to the next so it you've got to be good to get into it today to make uh, to make beer, uh, it so they so anybody breaking in today, they have the same, uh, they have a challenge definitely, but it's a little bit different to, to what um, uh, what was like at the start. Now tell me about the styles that were um, current then, because I like my, the, the first time I set foot in a craft brewery or a boutique brewery as it was then was a little microbrewery in Brisbane in the 80s called Kelly's that lasted for a fairly oh, short yeah, yeah. Uh, period. Um, yeah. And, you know, during, and then we had uh, the, the, the bust at the end of the 80s. And so when Bintani started, we're starting to see the next wave. What were the styles that brewers were making in the late 90s? Brewers were making their own style, and that was some of the problem. Um, <laughs> they were... Uh, because the brewer liked what he made, he expected everybody to like that beer, uh, which wasn't the case. So you had to actually make what what the public wanted. But the styles were, I don't, I don't know. I think they were very similar to what they are today. Although they weren't as hot, they weren't using as many hops uh, in those days. But um, the styles were basically, for some unknown reason, they were all like something lager or something <laughs> bitter. Well, that's my memory. It's interesting you yeah. say that because they were competing on the lager market then they were making some English styles and maybe a, a, a wit beer or a German-style wheat beer was pretty much up until, you know, around about 2000 when Little Creatures launched and we started seeing the American Pale Ale really um, right. take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly, that is it. Uh, when Creatures started over there, they they really did change the uh, the the, uh, the landscape uh, for sure, you know, and and a lot of it a lot of that started from there. I, I don't, you know, I can remember bringing some uh, Chinese people out to Australia in nineteen ninety four, and uh, they wanted to start a craft brewing business over there over there somewhere, and. Um, we took them up to uh, Matilda, not, not Matilda Bay. Uh, well, it was Matilda Bay in uh, Royal Parade. Uh, I think it was Royal Parade in Melbourne. They had a, a, a brewery there too. They, they they did. I'm trying to think of what the business yeah, was. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it Brewtech, Brewtech or something like that. Was yeah, the yeah, business? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the name of it though. Gee whiz, that's a 
pity. But anyway, I took these Chinese in there and they said, oh, we want to taste this beer. And, and of course, it, it was the um, it's, it was that wheat beer that they made. You know, Redback. Redback, yep. Well, these old Chinese, they just about turned up their toes, mate, because <laughs> <laughs> they'd never tasted anything like that. <laughs> they, they were used to Qingdao and things like that. So, um, so that, was, that was a different beer altogether. Um, but it, 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 uh, it paved the way again. And, uh, but basically, you're right. They were, they were early style, were all some sort of lager of some description or some sort of a bitter of some description. I guess in, in, in 95, things were starting out in what we regard as the modern craft beer industry, and it was fairly slow to start. What did you notice change, you know, over the early 2000s? Up until the, uh, those mid-2000, up until then, it was pretty much the same as what it was, uh, although it changed a little bit, but it had improved somewhat. But it was very similar to what uh, what was uh, what was available earlier in the piece. But after the mid two thousands, uh, I think that's when some very sophisticated to the day on the day brewers were coming on track and I, I would imagine a lot of that was um, with was brewers more so going up to Ballarat to the brewing schools uh, and being educated in brewing Peter Aldred probably played a big part in educating and, and teaching uh, a lot of our brewers and I think that uh, by the mid 2000s that was coming through this new education and, and, and knowledge that the brewers had gained and and that's when the the uh the beer started to be really uh, come into its own force and that's when well, i think they changed the name then to micro brewers because they were getting a little bit bigger uh, capacity brewers and things like that so i think yeah the early 2000s would have been where a new change came into it um New hops became available. Um, up until then, it was bittering hops mainly, uh, and then all of a sudden, these uh, aroma and aromatic hops became available, and uh, and so and that that really uh, that was really sort of new and 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 exciting to have these new uh, aroma hops come in. So that changed. That made that made a big difference to uh, to to the industry for sure. And how about Bintani? How did your business? Because you started in '95, working out of the back shed. Um, yep. Uh, at, at what point did you actually sort of move to a warehouse and start engaging staff and those sorts uh, of things? Look, you know. It's 25 years of business. If you've got 25 years to listen to my stories, <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I, could, I could run through the whole lot for you. But uh, we, we worked from home as of, as of the start of the business. I worked out of the bedroom and the garage, you could say, yeah. Uh, then uh, we, it was in 95 that, uh, that that was all happening. And for the next three years, 
we 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 had some wonderful people, Matt, help me. And when I say help me, I don't mean financially. I mean just support. Um, we can all start something uh, if we've got a financial background or finance somewhere along the line. Probably a lot of people could start a lot of things. But we had no money. Um, so, but we the, the biggest thing I had was the support of some suppliers and 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 my family the, the, the i know the boys were young at that stage but they knew what a beer was because i'd taught them <laughs> um but so we we had i had a lot of support and 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 that really helped greatly um so for the first three years i don't think we made any money i think it was just surviving uh, but we every penny we got we were putting back into the business to actually get another ingredient or take get allowed us to get more of an ingredient so it was uh, it was a, uh, about three years before we could say that we really had a business after that uh, we we I had the help of a, a, a company not far from where I lived, um, that gave me some warehouse space. And he, he looked after some of our product for me and would ship it out for me. Uh, and uh, and, and it, it, that was a huge assistance, absolutely huge. It was into 1999 that I moved into an actual warehouse with an office, or a bit of an office space, you might say. That was in... Uh, in the end, end of 1999, and that was when we registered Bintani Australia. We changed it from Peter Meddings to Bintani. Uh, at that stage, that's where we really did start to make some money. We started to actually uh, develop more and more. More brewers were coming on board. So it was all, it was all growing then in all directions. Um, that was in end of 1999, uh, start of 2000. And I can remember when we made our first million dollars turnover. It was in 2002. And uh, boy, did we have a party that <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those memories I have of our business, mate. Uh, so that was the, the one of the most exciting times when we had we had got to a point that that we were selling something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was that was exciting. Um, so, but after 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 that, two thousand and two, for the next uh, two or three years, uh, we we grew. Uh, and grew and grew, and then, then um, er, er, we we moved from one warehouse to another, and we had to we we had to increase our holding capacities and things like that. Um, and then we, uh, Dale was with me uh, after he left university. He came and worked with me, uh, along with Margaret, my wife, and and her brother. And so we, it was a real family affair at the start. And we all worked together. And um, 
then we moved to where we are currently and and then Phil joined us. Because well, he, he'd been Phil, working as a consultant with Pricewaterhouse, was it? Uh, no, uh, KPMG. KPMG, sorry. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, uh, sort of on that tax side of things, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, 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 and Phil joins. But just a, just a little very quick story on Phil. This is how family, you know, can go, mate. Um, when we were changing from um, whatever we were doing tax-wise to the GST, yep. and I was installing this software to um, to go to this Myob business <laughs> and uh, for the GST. So, you know, I had a a little sort of a pocket in the deck in a in a desk drawer where I kept petty change for for things, and I. We're putting all this money in the uh, into this myob thing, and uh, Phil said, "What's this petty cash here?" And I said, "Oh, that's for stamps and mail or whatever." And he said, "Where is it?" And I said, "Well, it's I've got it." And he said, "Oh, show it to me. Uh, I need to show it." I said, "Oh, for God's sake, Phil, you're my son." <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, uh, so we got this. Um, uh bigger warehouse uh got onto all of this other stuff and then got this big one and then phil came and joined us and from then on it's like as if the industry shifted into another gear um the 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 good brewers that were making good beer at that time became much bigger uh there were some new breweries come on that were um, that were making good beer right from day one, big big new breweries, and so the whole thing uh, in the last ten to twelve years has grown dramatically from what it was uh, in those first uh, twelve years. Say so. It's it's changed a hell of a lot, uh, and 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 it's 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 a it's a thriving industry now. Just look, just look at what the craft brewing industry has done. How many it employs? If you look at going back to the days of CUB and uh, uh, and all those other breweries that were where it were a state brewery in each state of Australia. You know, they never they 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 put their money into advertising to sell their beer, but they didn't employ the type of people that we've got today that you know are, are living off the back of the craft brewing industry, food tastings, likes of yourself with you with your reporting of brewing news. Um, there's the the uh, amount of uh, uh, trade shows they have they never had those when they had the Institute of Brewing uh, had a convention every two years and that was basically it you know or they would go overseas to another trade show but it was all commercial the commercial breweries the craft industry is 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 huge now it's it's changed dramatically 
How, how, how have you found it as you grow a business? You know, look, I'm, um, we first met when I was essentially, you know, 15 years ago uh, and, and I was sort of editing beer and brewer and chipping away on the side, you know, and, and now I've got staff um, that I'm responsible for and, you know, I don't get to do as much writing as I wanted to do because you're doing more management. How, how is it when you've got a, like a, a business that started in your bedroom um, and, you know, suddenly you've got, you know, and, and a national and New Zealand presence, and you've got staff, and uh, you, you've got suppliers around the world. Do, does does that change the enjoyment that you get out of what you do? It does to some degree. Yes, it do, definitely does. As you put staff on, you have got you have got people depending on your so called business skills, how you can sell, how you how you uh, get money in to pay staff so you have got a um uh, a responsibility to people that probably you thought well you may never have but you have got a responsibility to to looking after those people and they've all got uh, maybe a family maybe a wife maybe two or three kids or something so it it does put some pressure on you to make your business succeed at the same time, you're also looking after, you're supplying ingredients to people's business that are depending on your ingredients. So you've got a responsibility to actually supply them ingredients that are going to do what they want to do for them to make money and survive and, 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 and feed their wife and children or whoever. So with with each step, as your business grows, you are employing more, but you're looking after more on the other side. So the, the, the responsibility does grow on you. It, it, it really does. It, 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 uh, it is something that I was always aware of was that, you know, we've got to look after our staff, but at the same time, we must look after our customers. So, uh, Yes, there is definitely a responsibility there and there's some pressure there that it just comes with with growing your business. And is, is it that pressure? Because um, in 2018, um, you partnered with uh, Ra uh, Corporation in, in the US, which was it involved a partial sale of the business. Was, it, was that a practical recognition of you know, the, 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 the risk and the challenges and the responsibilities that come with having a growing business? No. No, we partnered with uh, with the Ra Corporation BSG. We could see that uh, the the possibility of another big supplier coming into Australia was was a real possibility. Um, that company had the same outlook as what we have or had at the at that time. Uh, it's a family-owned business, the Ra Malting Corporation. It's it's extremely well run, and it's extremely or very very same as what we've got, supplying malt, hops, yeast, and so on and so forth to the brewing industry. The only thing is, they are about ten or twelve times bigger than what we were. But so we really didn't have a a hesitation of being involved with those guys at all it was it was a plus to be involved with them but 
they have uh, they haven't changed our outlook on the industry at all. They they leave us alone. They we we do our own thing. Um, we have no problem whatsoever with that company, and so I think that we're in we're in good company. But it 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 wasn't uh, as though we had to do that by any means. It was just it was just an opportunity that came along, and we grabbed because we could see that it was going to be a benefit to us in the longer term. And uh, as as you sort of look to step back from Bintani, you know, are, are you going to miss things like the, the the travel? And I know that you know, like you you have a very good relationship and a very close relationship with uh, Phil and Dale. And uh, having watched you travel with them, you seem to get such pleasure out of uh, the, the the time that you get to spend together at those things. Are you, are you going to miss that as as you uh, step back from the business? Uh mate. I think that's that that that'll be one of the biggest things I miss because you know of all the hard times you know you have building a business and all all the uh, hardships that you go through and challenges that you face on a daily basis or a weekly basis whatever all those sort of things we've been going over to the US for about twelve years I suppose and and and, and we went there first on the hops business uh, and so. Every basically every trip we did to the US, mate, we went down to Nashville. And as you know, the three of us are, are, uh, are very much into country music, and uh, it's it's well, that's been a big part of my life the country music. Now, we we go to Nashville, and from a father's point of view, this is there's nothing greater than sharing those times with your sons or it wouldn't matter whether they were daughters or whatever but we've had just some just great times the three of us and i don't think they want to let that go uh, this virus is playing havoc with with us getting into um into national now but one day it might come good again we're hoping so i've loved the travel and i have loved the travel with 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 the company of the boys with me it's um it's been brilliant absolutely brilliant um i will you know that is just that is just one of the best things that's that 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 probably i have ever got out of the business is is uh, is the relationship with those boys of mine and i've got a daughter too i must say <laughs> and she's just as wonderful and she's not in the business because I, I i don't think i i've met her no, she's not in the business. She worked with us for. Uh, she went over to the UK just after uh, sort of uh, end of schooling, and then uh, she was over there for about four years. And then she came back and worked with us for about twelve months. But when she was over there for five or six years, I think. And when she came back, she brought the boyfriend back with her, of course. And um, uh, and then she worked with us for about twelve months, and. Uh, then she was. Uh, she started to uh, start. They started a family. So, uh, but she's uh, she's uh, she takes a great interest in Bintani. Believe you me. <laughs> so we've had some good times, um, but unfortunately, to some degree, um, uh, I don't know whether the uh, the triangle's broken and we're going back to two. But 
it's it's been good working the three of us together. I can assure you of that, Matt. So, so what are you going to do with the uh, the, the extra time you have on your hands? You know, this is probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made. Is I really don't know, to be honest. And if you're going to retire, you really should have a plan in place. But I never ever, even until last Friday, when that was it, uh, until that day, I never thought I would stop working. To be honest, uh, I just, I just had it in my mind that I would die working and. Uh, um, I wouldn't need a hobby or I wouldn't need this or that. But, look, I'm a great lover of woodwork, so I'll probably do something in that style. I think Dale sent me a table he wants me to build (laughs) or he sent me a photo of it, I should say. Well, well, I have to ask if if up until uh, recently you hadn't considered it, what what, what prompted the decision? I think it was a bit of a joint venture between the boys and myself. I think to some degree they probably got a bit... um, well, we don't really need Dad leaning over our shoulder all the time. <laughs> uh, I think they, they, look, there does come a time, Matt, when you you have to step back. You know, if particularly when you're working with your family, you've got that they are they're competent boys. You know, they they're not they're they're really good in the business, and so. Um, you, you've got to realise that there does come a time when you've got to give them a little bit of free reign too. Is it a case that if you were still there, you would always be dad and you would always be boss no matter um, what happened? Is, is that the dynamic that they it's need? It's a funny thing. I've, I've, I've always been dad, I suppose, in my mind, but to them I've always been Pete. Um, I just think that that they... It's time that they they also uh, looked at the business. They want to be. They want the business. You know what I mean. They mm. they wanted. They want to be involved in it. They and and I think while they while I I'm there, there is always this that he's the boss. That, that's, you know, what type, was, that's what I was hinting at. Yeah. Yeah, he's the boss. Well, I don't I don't believe I've ever been the boss. I think uh, <laughs> we've all we've all shared that that together and but but in their minds i was always the boss so i think that it is time that that the boss lets them take over now it, it, it has been a long chat and I'd, I'd, I'd better let you go but I, I would love to uh sort of pick up um some of these things again in a in, in a future episode even just over a beer but i will ask you um i, I do have always admired your honesty and your directness and your bluntness um, uh, because you always know where you stand. Um, now, when Green Beacon launched in Brisbane, uh, gee, it must have been six, seven years ago, um, I remember you saying to me, you're always upsetting people with the articles you write. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, which actually, actually made me stop and uh, you know, sort of reconsider how I was going about things. Um, have I gotten better? Because you were hard. Uh, but fair, you, I think. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, no. You, 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 the articles that you produce uh, are brilliant, mate. And, and I think you're honest. I don't think you're any less honest than I am, mate. But I think um, maybe you've been able to curve your bluntness where I'm, 
where I'm not sure I have. Oh, well, but, well, and, and I wasn't fishing for compliments in, in saying that, but it was one of those things that you know when, when you uh, take feedback in the spirit that's uh, that that it's intended, um, you, you do have to sort of uh, you know re- reconsider if, if if that's the way they wanted the, the, the writing to be regarded. It's interesting to think that uh, that I've had an influence on you, mate, because uh, usually it's been on brewers or something like that, but to get into the uh, publishing side and give them a bit of an, a, a shake-up. Oh, that's really good. I'm pr- pr- pleased to hear that, mate. But you have, and, and the other thing that I'll uh, say, because you, you, you don't like uh, the, the, the use of swear words or uh, egregious swear words when they're not necessary. No, I don't. I, I never have done, Matt. Um, and it's probably, look, um, I just, I think, well, I, 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 I never... Look, in my very early days, I was in road transport, mate, and 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 you know, it was as it was like on a, on a, on a on a merchant boat at times or ship, uh, as far as the language goes, with some of the drivers and so on and so forth. But it, it it's never something that really interested me. Um, I never spoke like that when we were ha- when the children were growing up. I've never spoke like that with Margaret. Um, I. I just respect that there are, I suppose, times and places. But but look, I'm no angel either. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but Peter, look, thank you very much for, for for this chat and congratulations on all you've achieved. You know, as I said in the article last Friday, that you know the industry wouldn't be in the position where it would be if there weren't you know brewers willing to take a, a, a punt 25 years ago but then also you know businesses like uh, Peter Meddings um, to become Bintani to, uh, to, to, to take the same chance with them. Yeah well thanks very very much Matt and look if you want to do a, a, a podcast or whatever one day on country music mate <laughs> I'll always be available. <laughs> There you go. Well, uh, I'll, I'll certainly consider broadening our podcast channel to include some country music, and I know where to come. I think it would be a good idea. <laughs> All right, then, Matt. Well, thanks so much, mate. And, and listen, I, uh, whoever listens to this, take it for what it is, please. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and if, if there are customers or customers listening or anyone, thank you so much for your customer over the years. I, I truly appreciate it. And uh, I, I know that having seen the comments uh, that you, you're very highly respected and everything you've done is appreciated as well. So, Peter Meddings, uh, all the very best. And hopefully we still will get to have a, uh, a, a beer from time to time. We will, mate. Not a problem. And that was Peter Meddings. And I'm sure that Bintani won't mind that Radio Brews News is presented by Cryer Malt another great supporter of ours. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Beer as a Conversation. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. 